0: Welcome back to The Forge. This week, we continue our discussion with the leadership panel from Denver Startup Week, essentially picking up exactly where we left off last week. So this would be part two of two with the leadership panel with Shannon huffman Paulson, Kim Casey-Campbell, Amy McGrath, and Janelle McCauley. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast. With your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr., come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden the fuck up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. You know, I go back to what Shannon was saying, and for everybody that, that's watching this. you you notice I'm a different gender than everybody else here. And so I'm coming from a little different perspective. And I think to myself, none of this stuff I have to worry about. I mean, I go through my life and none of this comes up on my radar. And so I always like to say, For women in leadership, and really just women in in the workforce, it's like walking through a minefield. You know, that is that going to be okay if they see me with my three-year-old, or is that not okay? You know, what should I act more like a man? Should you know what what do it? So I think a lot of young women are confused at how do I do this? How do I not step on the mine? And any any insight on that? If you're giving advice to one of my 20 or 21 year old students that's going out into the workforce, how do they manage that?
1: That's a
2: loaded question, isn't it?
0: It's like, the pressure is on
1: to answer this one. I know I feel it too.
2: (laughs) I'll, I just, I'll kind of give it a simple answer. I think part of it is just go be credible, go be good at what you do, work hard, have a good attitude. That's the advice I give, you know, if, as people are nervous or worried about who they should be, I mean, go be you, be authentic to you. And part of that, if you want to be respected when you walk into an organization, any organization, military or civilian, part of that is credibility. You know, do you put in the work? Do you do your homework? Um, And have that good attitude where you're willing to learn from mistakes and failures. That's something that's so hard. It's something that I was not good at, you know, in my early days and still there's, Still, I have to remind myself of those things over and over is that, you know, a lot of times, you know, we're we're all going to make mistakes and fail and it's how you respond to those mistakes and failures that's most important. So you might as well put that aside. You know, you know that that is going to happen and how you respond in that moment. So be authentic to you, be credible, work hard, have a good attitude.
0: And I, I would assume, Kim, that, all right, I'm being authentic, doing all those things you said, and it still kind of bites me in the butt. I, I think your advice would be stick to your guns. Is that right? You know, Continue to be authentic, even if it doesn't work out maybe initially?
2: Yes and no. I think if there are people that you value. If you follow Brene Brown, she talks about this little piece of paper, of the people that you need to listen to versus just the broader audience. But if there are people that you value that are important to you, that are giving you feedback, that maybe you're coming off across the wrong way or, you know, that. but it, again, it's people that you value. I think it's worth listening to the feedback. And then you still have to make an assessment of what's most important to you. And, you know, I'm not saying not be true to who you are but sometimes we could all use a little bit of feedback. I mean, I, you know, I, people that you really trust that are going to be honest with you. I think it's, that's, that is worth listening to. You don't want to, I guess what I, what I worry about is like, you can't go in that you're always right. You know, sometimes you, you, you could use a little bit of feedback and those are the people that value hopefully will give you that honest feedback. If that makes sense.
0: Absolutely.
3: And I would just add, first, I don't like to give advice. I actually have a staunch policy against it. I I like to consider it more mentorship because the way our brains work, if you give advice, people then apply rules to it, right? And so I like to think of this idea of how do you find your authentic self, right, as Kim was saying, so then you can kind of show up and navigate some of these challenges. And I think the best way to do that is to ask yourself three questions. What do I value? What gives me purpose? And how do I define success? And I think if you have a clear way of articulating the answers to those questions to yourself, and if you have a spouse, right, what does that mean for your family? Decisions are not difficult, right? Challenges that come at you Yes, they increase the pressure of the moment, but you will ha- do this internal calculation in your brain where you're like, Do I have the resources to meet the demands of this moment? And if you've answered those three questions, you're standing on a very solid foundation where you can say, Yeah, bring it on because I know who I am and I know how to show up and be me, no matter what barrier or challenge is in front of me. And so I think that's a really good way to look at it. And that would be the mentorship I would give to my younger self, right? Answer those questions because you won't struggle with the decisions that you're going to be faced with your entire life and the pressure, you know, high pressure moments. So again, it's what do you value? Where What gives you purpose? And how do you define success?
0: We should have had you, in, we had a, a, an imposter syndrome webinar earlier today. We should have had you in there. That, that sounds like good advice or good mentorship.
1: Let me ask that question. Let's, let's just Deviate just a a tiny bit and say, we've all heard about all your amazing accomplishments. I mean, clearly. Did you four ever feel like an imposter at any point in your military career? Or as a parent? Or anywhere throughout that journey? Because we always equate imposter syndrome, feeling like we don't belong, we're not good enough, we didn't earn our way to the table. We all equate that typically with people that aren't confident, people that are unsuccessful, people that don't have success. Because if we have success, why would we have imposter syndrome? So I'm just curious at any point in time in that journey, if you felt that and any words of wisdom looking back for people that do because statistically it's a pretty high number of us that suffer from that
0: shannon's trying to hold back
1: well well, i
4: would the reason i'm holding back is because i just want to honor what kim and janelle have just shared and say that i wish that you had been around earlier in my life and career like i would have loved to have had those questions and i would have loved to have had that direction and i really appreciate what both of you just shared. And relative to showing up, knowing your stuff, the other thing I wanted to point out, uh, because I don't know if it was mentioned before, is that Amy has a new book that just came out called Honor Bound, which you should also read. And if you ever have any question that a woman can do her stuff, you just got to read that book. So anyway, I wanted to throw all that out there because I think that all pertained to the earlier question and, and just honor and thank you for what you just shared, because I, again, I wish I'd had that earlier on. And I know the answer to the question on imposter syndrome for me is all the time, starting from the very beginning. I mean, starting <laughs> from some showing up at flight school, which was, which was great. I mean, flight school is fun for everybody, right? It's a great collegial sort of a place. And, and, but all the way through, I, I felt it all the way through. We just are finishing up a $6 million capital campaign for a new library in our community. I've been in the chair of that campaign and have been, have brought it home. I'm very proud of it, I have felt like I am out of my depth every single time that I go up and I ask for, ask for money and I approach foundations and I go to the state and I'm totally out of my depth. And you know what you do? You just, or for me anyway, you just, you just keep doing, you just keep showing up and you keep showing up and doing an outstanding job. And at the end of the day, you can't even doubt yourself. You can, but, but you at least will have a track record that you can look at and say, okay, I feel good about that. Even though I still doubt myself. And and the second part of that Relative also to uh, what Amy said earlier, relative to anything the Apache ever threw at me or anything, any mission ever threw at me, my kids throw me for much bigger loops every single day. And I have two boys and I am constantly have no idea what I'm doing <laughs> as a mom. <laughs> so so I, I think that that has is, is, is certainly been common in my experience. These You all seem a bit more self-assured. So I uh, imagine that you've got it more under control. <laughs> I'm sure that
0: Amy's never had imposter syndrome, right, Amy?
5: Well, there's, there's one quote that I've, I've you know, how you, you post quotes in your locker when you're in high school and at the academy. And I had this quote, you know, all throughout my life going into, you know, naval aviation and all the way up until the moment, you know, you're, you're running for Senate and you're on national TV doing a debate with the majority leader. You know, you're, it's from Eleanor Roosevelt. And she said, you must do the things you think you cannot do that has worked for me. I didn't always believe in all of these things that I could just walk in and do them, but somehow I I did it. And I did it by stepping making that first step every single time. And and that that kind of sums it up for me.
0: There's my goosebumps moment. Well said, well said. What do you say, Kim?
2: I love that quote. I you know one of the things that I I talk about when I speak to organizations is is fear and overcoming fear. And I think when it comes down to it we all face fears, like fear of not being good enough, fear of not meeting expectations, fear of the unknown. All of these things are really normal things that we feel and a lot of times, you know, that little imposter that speaks to you, like you might not be good enough. You might, you know, maybe you, you're not going to cut it. I think I just tried to push it. You know, I I try to push it out and because it's, when it comes down to it, it's really what we do when we are scared that matters. We're so afraid to admit fear, but when it comes down to it, it's about taking action in the face of fear, right? Stepping up and having the courage to do those hard things And so it's that imposter. I don't know if it ever goes away. I think it's more you figure out how to shut it up and you figure out that, you know, you are worthy. You do matter. You've done the work. You've put in the homework, you know, and and that you are good enough. And so it's in that moment doing those things that you think you can't do, doing those things that you're afraid to do. I think that's that's really what it comes down to. That's what matters. And I think for leaders, you know, there's you know, I think leaders face fears, right? You face, you can face fears about having tough conversations or making those tough decisions, making those tough calls. But again, your team is watching and looking at you to see how you will respond in the face of those fears. So I I remind myself that it's what you do when you are scared that matters. And it's okay to feel that fear, but you have to be able to get beyond that, to step up and take action, even when you're afraid. The admitting it. Still not very good at that, but it's what you do when you are scared that really
0: matters. We got you to admit that on the podcast, so I call it a win.
2: Since you brought up leaders,
1: Kim, let's talk about that because we got a lot going on in the workforce today. We've been throwing a few curveballs in the last two years, and now we're facing, you know, the Great Resignation. Ron and I are coaching people constantly. They're like, "I want to quit. Not, I just want to quit. I need you to help me figure out where I want to go, what I want to do next." And what we like to do in those matters is kind of dig out, you know, why do you want to quit? Where is that maybe coming from that isn't all work-related? But a lot of it comes back to, I'm not cared for. I'm not taken care of at work. I'm not getting the development that I want. And, you know, Amy, you mentioned that what the military is really, really good at is leadership development, which I wholeheartedly agree after 12 years in the Air Force. So we don't do that so well in the civilian world. And I'm wondering... If you're speaking to leaders right now that are listening and those that will listen later to the recorded uh, version of this, what do you have to say to them about how important it is to care about this topic of, you know, helping not only women find their place, but men find their place, men and women find their place together and really start developing um, some of these leaderships traits if you want to keep your people Do you think that's important right now or not so much yet? What are your thoughts?
2: But yes, it's absolutely important. I think people will stay when they feel like they matter, when they feel like the contributions that they are providing make a difference. I think we saw that across the board in the Air Force. And I think we see it in all organizations that, People want to feel like what they're doing matters. You know, if they're going to put time and effort in, they want to know that they're trusted for their experience and their expertise. When I led a group, which was roughly over 1,000 to 1,500 people, I really made an effort to get out and talk to my team. Is it hard to connect with over 1,000 people? Yes, but breaking it down in smaller groups and just talking to people Find out what they value, figure out what their struggles are. You know, what are the things that are they're you know, that we're doing in the organization that are causing them stress and just trying to get out and really connect with people and and then valuing their level of expertise, putting your trust in them. You know, I didn't necessarily have all the expertise as the commander. You know, I was a fighter pilot. I had firefighters. I had intelligence. I had air traffic controllers all working for me. I wasn't the expert in each of those. And so I really tried to take the time to learn from them and get to know them and and just hear what they have to say about what they do. And so I think those were things that really worked for me was just taking the time to connect, get out and walk around or Zoom or chat with your team. Because I think when they feel valued, they feel like you care about them. They're willing to stay. They're willing to put in the effort. I also think it's important to have a conversation about why you do things in an organization. I love Simon Sinek and the start with why. I think it's important to have a conversation and explain why you do the things that you do, because that brings people in. It makes them feel like you trust them, that you're willing to share with them. And I know from some people hear that from a military perspective and they're like, well, the military doesn't do that. Well, There are moments of that where we don't have time, maybe in combat. But I think overall, if you just take the time to talk with your people, talk with your teammates, let them know, you know, the reasons why you do things in an organization, get to know them, let them know that they're valued. I think that goes a long way. So the short answer to your question is yes, it is absolutely important.
0: Amy, do you have some thoughts?
5: Yeah. Hi. I would echo everything that Kim just said, you know, the, the basic leadership 101, you know, listening to people getting around and, and, and pulling things out of, of folks who that, you know, especially as a leader that they may not initially tell you. I also just, you know, would throw out there and maybe this isn't as applicable to the military because you're sort of given your team. But when you get out and you have the ability to create a team, whether it's, you know, running a campaign or starting a business or something like that, I think you you really have to be proactive with getting diversity on your team. It isn't, you know, we're, we're, I guess for those of us who, well, at least for me in the military, you are given a team and you sort of take for granted that everybody's qualified at their level. That's not the case outside. And so you have to be more proactive. And I think that's really important because Having a diverse group of people around you is going to make for a better organization. Why? Well, because you have different voices at the table that bring different, different experiences. And, and that matters. Just one person speaking up saying, you know, have you ever thought about it this way? I mean, could make the difference. Shannon would probably know more, but the studies show that, you know, businesses do better when when you have a diverse group of people weighing in. So we know that in the military, for example, when you fly into combat zones, even in special operations, do you want everybody to to think the exact same way? Or do you want somebody, you know, people that have different skills and different backgrounds that can be able to adapt quickly I I happen to think that I want a team that can adapt quickly, that doesn't, we don't have, I don't have 10 people that all have the exact same education, that all can, you know, bench press 200 pounds or whatever, that, you know, that all look the same and act the same. I want a diverse amount of, of people that can do lots of different things because what's going to get thrown at you in combat is not always the same thing. And I'm sure that that's true in the business world and certainly true in politics.
1: It's certainly true in the entrepreneurial world, I'll tell you that. Startup companies building products, it needs to be a diverse set of minds. Otherwise, you're only targeting one customer, one client, and that doesn't work. So what do you think, Shannon?
4: No, I, I I couldn't agree more. I mean the the diversity aspect of that is critical for your customer base because your your team should represent the people that it is that you're trying to sell to for sure or you won't understand how it is to approach them and I think that is brought up again and again from all different people of all different types of backgrounds but also all ages it turns out that women and the elderly have the most money to spend, and and typically they're not included as much on the teams, which is sort of crazy if if you are running a startup and you need to be looking at your sales. So I think that's a a huge piece. But just to back up into the leadership question as a whole, one of the things that we called what uh, Kim was describing was muddy boots leadership, right? And I talk about this all the time, how it's easy to stay up in your office or stay up in flight operations and not go down onto the hangar floor. But at the end of the day, even as a lieutenant, our job wasn't just to fly missions, it was To actually take care of the people that turned the wrenches and checked the logbooks. And so we had to get out of flight operations and out of the company headquarters and walk down onto the hangar floor and talk to those crew chiefs. And I love the term muddy boots leadership and the reminder that soldiers will never trust anybody whose boots are too shiny because they haven't been out there doing the work. And it's a great reminder, which ties directly into what they have found at the end of the pandemic, which is that those. Employees who are staying, those employees who are not part of the Great Resignation, are those who have had at least one leadership check-in a week. And that doesn't have to be physical, obviously, with this more dispersed and more remote work environment, but it's a phone call or it's even just a text message or an email. It's a personal check-in, and those employees are staying. But the other piece to remember is as a leader is how you lead those who are not leaving, right? Those who have not resigned. And, uh, and I think that's the big opportunity right now for leaders is to, is to say, what? how do we take care of the people that are staying? How do we make this a place where other people want to come to work? And leadership is always, always, always about other people. And there's an incredible opportunity because there's such a dearth of it. So when you can make that the focus and make that development the focus and make that exercise the focus on behalf of the people that are working for you, they get the mission done, and that's what it's always been all about.
1: Mm, Janelle, I know you have your hand up. What What are you thinking?
3: Yes, first I apologize that I'm voice only now. Like we adapt and overcome when we face challenges. And <laughs> the power went out, and everything oh, like I'm in the car. Wow. I'm in the middle of a thunderstorm. So anyway, we adapt and we overcome. Anyway, the 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 conversation around diversity, I think, is important to note that diversity of thought you know, and and a few of the panelists all kind of, I think, echoed this. But the important thing to remember about diversity of thought is that it comes from different places. And just because, you know, someone is, you know, diverse in their gender or their background doesn't necessarily mean they have diversity of thought, right? Like, and I think that you can have individuals, you know, and, and I know there's research that just having a female in the group changes the dynamic of the conversation. But I would argue, you know, uh, there was a panel that was set up or a team that was set up many, many years ago to address women in the military. And the the three women that were running it had nuclear families, just like a male leader would, right? Like they had a stay-at-home spouse who moved around with them. And so when, when you're asking those women why can't we get more women in the military? Then they're like, I don't know. It's really easy for me, right? And so you're not asking the right questions of the right demographic that have that diversity of thought. And so I just think that that's something we always need to remember when we have those diversity conversations, that it's the thought piece, not just what I look like, right? That really brings the uniqueness and richness to the conversations and and really the leadership aspects of understanding the challenges that the people you lead face
0: starting to build a case why this is important, right? So we, we hear this, a lot of value in diversity. Let me take a little bit of a turn with this because I think this is something that their audience might want to know. A couple of you, I, I, I don't remember exactly who shared this with us on the podcast, but a couple of you have dealt with what I would call poor behavior by a male superior, You know, whether that's some sexist behavior. How do you navigate that? How do you deal with that? What would you say to young women when you're faced with something like that, how should you respond
1: so that we can that's move a, that's forward a wild, and
0: not back? I know that's a I really think, yeah. big question, but
1: It is. It's a it's a tough one, but this is all about opening up difficult conversations and this is what a lot of the audience is is thinking, I'm sure, so.
0: Anybody want to
3: Can I start by bringing up possibly a, a difficult a difficult aspect of this conversation? Yes. I would say my worst bosses, or my worst boss, was actually a woman, and and I say that because most of the men that I've worked for, and I have had to navigate misogynistic, chauvinistic type environments, but no one ever hit it. At least in my experience, <laughs> like you, they kind of like, at least were very outward, and they're. Struggles, right, with me being in a certain position or me being on the team. I felt like the worst experience I had with leadership and really, you know, bias was another woman because she wasn't very outward with it, right? Like I I was building, I thought I was building trust and then I kind of felt like I had knives in my back. And I think part of that is because of the culture, at least when you're the only woman there's a specialness and a uniqueness i think that comes to that comes with that and we have to work as a population of women supporting other women to understand that it doesn't take away anything from us when we invite another woman to the table right in fact it makes richer conversations it makes better leadership teams it makes better progress and so that's kind of what i've actually experienced is that i had more challenges in that environment than i did ever with dealing with, you know, various forms of misogyny and chauvinism. I don't know if anyone else has had that experience as well, but that was a tough challenge to navigate. And I, when I took command or I was in those positions, I really made it important to advocate for building female teams and bringing, you know, I had to bring my own chair most of the time to the table, but I would make sure that there were other chairs for other women to contribute and have their voices heard. So... That's a
1: great point. Yeah. Who wants to jump in and add on or even something different or along those same lines?
2: I think the thing that I would say for for me and my experience, a lot of times being the only woman, was I just had to know where that line was for me, you know, and to be able to have the courage to kind of step up and let people know if they cross the line with a joke or something they said. And I, I feel like a lot of the time they were they were thankful that I mentioned it because they didn't know. That certainly wasn't always the case when what I loved best was when I didn't have to say anything, when the other guys in the room would say it. And mm. to me, that was that was huge because that showed that I was respected and that they were aware of what people were saying. And so it took a while to get there. And you know, and I it, This became easier for me to kind of step up and speak up when I had proven myself in the airplane, right? When I had gotten to the point where I was credible in the organization and I had kind of proven myself. And as I rose in rank, it certainly became easier. You know, it's harder when you're the youngest person in the room. It's a little bit easier to kind of step up and speak up when you're more senior in the room. And so I think that's where having your peers being able to step up in those moments for you, that's where I felt like I was really connected and part of the team. When my when somebody else would speak up for me, so that I didn't have to, you know, that it was they they had my back. It's hard. I mean, it's really hard. It kind of goes back to that thing of you know talking about fear. It's it's hard to kind of speak up and let people know um, when they've said something or done something. It's it's not easy, and it's something that I think I continue to struggle with. It's gotten easier. I don't know, better <laughs> as I've, you know, progressed, but it's, I think it's one of those things that's at least for me, it's always been something that's that's hard to, to deal with. And I I much prefer when somebody else has the courage to step up and say that. Cause I think in a group of men, that's also hard for another man to stand up and go, Gu- guys, come on. We don't, you know, we don't need to sing that song or tell that joke. That that to me is the best way it could happen is for somebody else to do it.
5: Amy? Well, I mean, exactly what Kim said. I had very similar experiences. And the one thing I would say is that, you know, and and this was 25 years ago and 20 years ago in a very, 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 very male dominated squadron and and in an environment where, frankly, I, I, I just so wanted to succeed and I had to pick my battles. And I just had to decide, you know, am I, am I going to 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 stand up and 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 really make us make an issue of this? Or am I just going to work hard to get the credibility that I need to make sure that this doesn't happen two years from now? And that, that was kind of how I dealt with that at the time and the sexist antics early on in my career. It is not to say that that is what everybody should do. I do not believe that to be true. I think people have to, to search within themselves and figure out what, how they want to handle things. Later on in my career, it became a lot, a lot easier, much like Kim said. Why? Because, man, when you got the rank, you know, people listen. And and on top of it, you you are surrounded by people who sort of know that you're credible, and there it's just a different environment. But it still happened. It happened, you know, even in the middle of my career. And how I handled it that way in my Pentagon tour, which was a lot more diverse than my squadron, was I got a I I sought counsel from somebody who was on the level of that superior officer. I was not there. He was a much high, he was a higher rank than me by a lot. And uh, so in order to figure out how do I approach this, I I went to the civilian secretary (laughs) who, you know, was, has been around a long time and and, and can sort of talk at that level and just say, Hey, what do you think? You know? And, and she was the one who, you know, said, let me handle this. And so I was lucky. Had she not been there, I would have had to have taken. Okay, uh, step step one didn't work. What's step two going to be? And and is it is it important enough to rise to a level where I have to do something more? But but again, as as Kim mentioned, it was is certainly easier when other people do it. And sometimes you can you can help other people to do it by by confiding in people you trust.
0: Shannon laid on us.
4: No, I, I think Amy said that perfectly. And that is about building. And this is, by the way, I say this now from the perspective of, you know, of, of a couple decades from away from the uniform. So, but I certainly didn't have that perspective while I was wearing the uniform. And I think that is the perfect answer, which is to go to somebody that you trust of a similar rank or position and, and ask for their advice that you can, somebody that you can trust. That's a, a, a great perspective. I will say that, that, that there were, I had a, a couple of really, significant challenges in in this area, in the military that I did not report because I was young and because I wanted to succeed and because I knew that if I reported them, I would not succeed. So I, and that's a problem, right? So that's a systemic problem. I, I will also say that I had something of a much less egregious nature happen in a tech company that I worked in after business school, after the military, and I was not going to report it, but it happened publicly. And there were two women peers who said, look, you have to report this or this is going to happen again. And because it was in a public place where there were two women who were there also, um, I would say that they challenged me in a good way and I did report it and the person was removed from their position and and, and all of it uh, w- was a very different situation. But I think that it's a hard, hard thing that you nobody should have to deal with this at all. And and the first thing as a leader, if you are leading a startup, is to ensure that you have zero tolerance for people who cross the line on these places. It doesn't matter how good they are, you cut them, get them out of your company because it will be more of a liability than, than you want to handle, not just from the culture perspective, but from the legal perspective. Um, so I think that's the, the the culture of intolerance for that kind of a thing is really, really important. And the second thing is, and I know this is something that has been part of all of these conversations, is the allies are critical. Kim, I love that you said that. And Amy too, like it is it is something that if you if you want to support a solid culture, a, a strong culture where everybody is contributing fully, then as a man, you have to be part of this. You have to be part of making sure that you don't laugh at that joke that is, is in some way demeaning towards a person, no matter who that person is, and that you call people on it. And that absolutely is the best hopeful end state. And it's unfortunately not the common end state because it takes courage. And I, I don't think courage is always the norm. But I think we would all be better for for a good dose of that. So I hope that's not skirting too many issues, but to say that, yes, have somebody you can talk to of a similar like rank. And and absolutely, it's better if somebody else steps up on your behalf.
1: Wonderful. Let's see if we can breeze through, Ron, two more questions. So we'll make
0: both really short. Okay. The the question, the one I want to end on is going to be a good one. Uh, So maybe, how about we just go to the last one? How How does that sound? Yeah, uh, because right. uh, this idea, you know, both Kim and Shannon, and I think probably all, all four of you would agree we need allies, right? And as we set this panel up, Tara and I were hoping in a perfect world, we go, all right, there's going to be 50% men attending and 50% women. And it, it looked like it was about 90, 95% women that were signing up for this panel. And it's called Women in Leadership. Maybe that's our fault. And maybe that's part of the reason. Why would a man come to something like this? I think the men should be at this table because we need to be allies. But here's the question for all of you. Tara and I are struggling with this. How do we get men to sign up for something like this? How do we get men having this discussion? How do we get men being allies? Give us your magic answer, Amy. Go ahead. Take women out of the title. There you go. And that's that's what we. Just it was late leadership. in the game. We said but do it in we a way would, that
5: we, brings brings women in yeah. and and in talk about these issues. I think that's what you're going to have to do.
0: I like it. It's funny that that we came to that. That we said we would never name this men in leadership, would we? <laughs> Well,
4: Tara, I will say, I, I tried to, I was hoping that The Grit Factor was going to be published with a, and by the way, I love my publisher, Harvard's amazing, and they've done an incredible job, but I was initially hoping it would be positioned as a leadership book. And not even mention the fact that all of the leaders that were interviewed for the book—and there's dozens of them, including Amy McGrath—were uh, women. And because if there were—and there are many—leadership books where all of the leaders that were interviewed are men, that's never mentioned as a separate thing. So that's what I was—I was hoping, in a way. I think it has—it has, uh, it has helped, been helpful that it has been positioned the way that it has, for sure. But I do think that's a great question to ask: Is why do we have to position? you know, women pilots or women leaders when it's really leaders, right? And frankly, it's leaders who have overcome, and this is why the grit factor came to be, a double crucible, right? Where they've had to deal with all of these other things, uh, that are not part of other leaders' equations. But at the same time, I would love to to, to shout out to the couple of, of men authors, male authors, who are, I believe, also both of them Navy, and they, who wrote the book, Athena Rising and Good Guys. And they are very much all about male allyship. And that's absolutely what they're promoting. So I would highly recommend that anybody pick up those two books, also Harvard Business Review Press, and and look at how allyship can be something that is developed because it makes everybody stronger. And that goes back to Amy's point, right, is diversity, equity, and inclusion. The inclusion piece is the key, not the diversity piece, that diversity is important. Inclusion is the key. Diversity without inclusion is nothing. And uh, and inclusion is everything. So,
1: Fabulous. Kim or Janelle, do you want to jump in on that last one before we move on?
2: You know, I think, you know, Shannon touched on it as well, and so did Amy. I think we do a lot of like promoting women, you know, first to do this, or, you know, I I see stories a lot and there's positive with that, but sometimes it's like, I'm just a leader. I'm just a fighter pilot. I don't need to be a female commander or a female leader or a female fighter pilot. I I'm just me. And so it's this balance of, do we promote all these great things that are, you know, first or next or, or do we just focus on the performance? And so, you know, after, after my combat mission in Iraq that I flew in 2003, there was a lot of media and it all circled around this idea of me being this female fighter pilot, you know, that was able to land an A-10 with heavy battle damage. I just wanted to be a fighter pilot. I didn't want the attention. I just wanted to be a fighter pilot. I, that's, that's all that I wanted. And at the same time, I understood when the story was out there and there was lots of discussion about it, that it also helped young women realize that this was something that they could do, that they could, you know, go be a fighter pilot if they wanted to, they could be an astronaut, they could be a CEO. And so I get torn with this sometimes because I just want to be recognized for me, but we also have to work at getting the younger, the girls realizing that they can do all of these things. And so what's the balance? I don't know the answer to that one. I do know though that I have always wanted to be referred to just as fighter pilot leader commander without, without the female or women in front. Um, and, And I think that's what can change it.
1: I love it. And I think we are making strides the way parents are raising younger children today, because I'm seeing it even in our classrooms with 18, 19 and 20 year olds, the, the, the conversation's changing. So we're getting there. And I think that's wonderful. I do want to say if you've liked this conversation and you want to hear more from these four women, you can check out the Forging Metal podcast, where all four were separate guests and we go into a deep dive into their careers and their books and everything that they've done. And leadership comes up without a doubt. But uh, the key here is to keep these conversations going. So we wanted to start it today. This is just the beginning of this conversation please take it into your households into your workplaces and you know over coffee with friends and amy like you said or like eleanor roosevelt said can you end us on the magical note
5: my gosh you know i i think again the best quote that i've i've ever that i've come across in my life is you've got to do the things that you think you cannot
0: do. And, 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 and I want to, I want to jump in one more time and say, men, get to the table. We need to be, we need to be part of this discussion. We need to be allies. I'm, I don't know what the answer is to get more men interested in this conversation, but if you're listening, spread the word.
1: Thank you so much, Denver Startup Week. Thank you to our panelists. The videos will be on YouTube that you can share around. I highly suggest you share them with people in the workplace. This is a great way to start this conversation. Thank you all. And on that note, have a lovely
3: evening. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.